Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the AgView Pitch. Today, you have Shea Folk with Mike White. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks it is. A, me. Yeah, it's a beautiful spring day here in Illinois. Um, next 10 days looks awesome for those listening on the AgView Pitch. We are definitely going to have planters rolling here in the fields next week, corn and soybeans and whatever, you name it, everything's going in the ground. Get the sprayers out, get the planters out. It's it's time to rock and roll. So um, for those of you listening, Mike, you and I actually kind of had a chance encounter, I think Minneapolis Airport, correct? That's correct. Yep. And uh, we were walking, I was walking by, I was doing my indoor workout. I was on 75 hard at the time. I was doing my indoor workout and I look over and I see this hat that caught my eye. And so I think the first message here is branding, you know, wherever you go, I'm a big fan of represent your brand, represent who you are, um, your farming operation, your businesses. And I looked up and saw this hat. And so as I'm walking, I didn't have anything else to do. And I thought, I'm going to look this up. So I looked him up on LinkedIn, felt kind of creepy. And uh, when I came back through the airport, I just walked up and introduced myself and we started talking. I thought, you know, this would be a great podcast. So Mike, I was hoping maybe you could, uh, you know, introduce yourself, maybe give the listeners a little bit of a background on on who you are, and then we'll jump into what you do. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so who I am, uh, I'm a dad of three. So I have twin boys that are almost seven. And um, since I know you're, you're out of Iowa, I'll mention they went to their first wrestling practice last week. Awesome. And uh, you can imagine they loved it. <laughs> Um, so I have twin boys, Dean and Charlie, and then I have a daughter, Winnie, that's uh three, or excuse me, she's four now, a four. And so, uh, married my wife, Jana, and uh, for her, this will be our 10th year. And I have a HR background, so um, I was originally gonna set out to be a teacher uh, from central Illinois, not too far away from you. And I, I joke, there's three jobs that you can be work at Caterpillar. Uh, be a teacher or farmer. Those are most of the people <laughs> that I grew up with. Yep. So um, uh, I was corrected state farms there too in central Illinois. So, yeah, it, so yeah, so I ended up uh, switching gears and um, looked at MBA schools, went to HR school at the University of Illinois um, and then worked for major manufacturers for the last 15 plus years. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you grew up, you do have some roots and, and some tie back to agriculture here for the audience that's listening here today. What did that look like? Yeah. Um, my dad's Ron White, but not D Ron. Uh, well, he says he's D Ron White. <laughs> D Ron White. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in Muhammad, Illinois, and uh, I, I started detasseling when I was in well, probably before I was legal, but uh, I, I remember six. I remember my first paycheck when it when the government took their for that that chunk out. I still remember that pain, and, and um, did that for a few years. And my dad said, "Get some buddies together." I got some field cleanup work to do, so I did roguing. Ended up starting a detasseling business that grew to about eighty people, and um, yeah, so I I I had all sorts of folks working for me, and what I realized is that uh i needed to I, I could make some pretty good money in business and then the part i liked was leading people and putting in processes which happened to be the hr side of it i just didn't know it was hr so i built standard work uh, i created an onboarding process 
I had check sheets, time studies, um, did a little bit of industrial engineering, didn't know what I was doing there too. And uh, my claim to fame when I talk about detasseling is I eliminated water breaks. And yeah, and you go, well, how'd you do that? One of the kids' dads worked at, um, there was a Bell helmet factory. Well, Bell made hydro packs before hydro packs were hydro packs. This is 1999. Yeah. And uh, so I got them all hydro packs. And, um, and they were like a defect high, the, the guy sold it, sold the defects to me, which were all fine. They just had something wrong, you know, they, the, it wasn't the content. And so I ended up, ended up eliminating breaks and we just dominated that last year. And, uh, so I did that for my dad, but I also ended up doing contract work for Monsanto too. Mm-hmm. They paid a little bit more. Not, to you know, not everybody likes the people management. Is there anything that drew you to that at a young age or, you know, why would, why were you attracted to that? Uh, cause I didn't like to study. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, no, I, I, I guess, um, you say, I don't know. It's just, it's just in me. It's just fun. It's in me. I want to be around people. I took the Myers-Briggs test. And, uh, my extroversion is like the one off the highest you can have. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that makes it fun, but what makes it good is the processes. Mm-hmm. So it's not so, all, it's not all about, Oh, you know, I think HR sometimes gets a bad rap of it's all about hugging and feelings. And my background is mostly the, the way I've been able to shape my career has been around data and uh, labor relations. So I've done union negotiations, union um, avoidance, or positive employee relations. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, and I appreciate that background. Um, so you went to University of Illinois, went through the MBA program there. Uh, kind of what was your timeline there? When did you when did you wrap up there? And then when did you jump into the world of, I guess, professional career outlook? Yeah, so uh, real quick, because because I know you have farmers, I, I told, uh, I remember being, a, I think I was a junior or senior in high school. And I said, I'm thinking about uh, politics or uh, being a lawyer. And I, I remember my dad looking at me and being like, those those are horrible. <laughs> what? What? Why would you want to? Yeah. Why? why? And, uh, um, and I ended up finding the the program is the masters of human or uh, masters human resources industrial relations and it, it, it I like to argue and the union and the labor stuff appealed to me I like the history of it up on my wall behind me is uh, uh, my great grandpa was a United Mine worker back when the unions were much uh, uh, it, it was it made a lot more sense he started working on coal mine at like thirteen so. Mm-hmm. The, that, I guess that brought me into the HR world and um, yeah, it was, it was, it's been a good, it's been a good jump. I, I don't know exact the exact moment when I decided to do that, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So what year did you leave University of Illinois and oh. then what was your first job posting? Yeah. So I, I left in um, 2005. I'll do a little ad for the HR school. It's, it's a year and a half long. And I did the business math of the program. It's, it's um, you do a semester where I started, you do your first two semesters, you get a paid internship that paid at that time, like $30 an hour. Um, and I applied to just this job out in Denver. I just wanted to be in Denver. And 
um, worked for a company, John's Manville Insulation Company, and uh, in their total rewards, so their compensation and benefits department, um, did mostly analysis all summer long and whatever they wanted me to do. My office was in a closet uh, that they put a window in. Uh, <laughs> me and another lady. is is a is a pure intern experience, but nice. they treated me well and ended up being a full-time offer. That was 2005. Uh, they asked me, where do you want to go? They offered me a full-time job after that. And where do you want to go? I said, anywhere but California and uh, ended up in Winder, Georgia. So, yeah. um, and then, and then that's where I, 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 I met my steel workers and kind of fell into that little niche. Interesting. So you've had multiple positions since then. Um, just yeah. looking at your background and, and checking out your, your LinkedIn. We haven't talked on that a lot, but you know, today, I, I think what I would like you to like you to do is tell, tell the listeners here a little bit about, you know, where you are today and maybe your, your natural pathway on how you got there and what inspired you to do what you're doing today. You've given us a little background on that. And then I'll probably, you know, poke and prod you with a couple questions. All right. That sounds good. So, um, yeah, I still have on my resume, by the way, that I ran uh, white management, the tasseling company I started Beautiful. still today. Uh, it, it connected me with uh, my last role, the hiring uh, VP. He, he, he was from Ohio and he had worked in the cornfield. So I think that helped me out. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So right out of school, I went, I, I, like I said, I, that was, um, 06. So um, 06 time frame where I took that job and then um, was in a fast track program where they're supposed to move me around Well, the economy dropped out and I ended up in one spot in Georgia. Um, but I, I got more facilities and I, I started doing HR for more and more and it, it, more and more groups. And what I, I kind of figured out well, that's where I got discipline on my processes and making sure that I can repeat stuff. And you, you know, that people are always, they're, they're the, they're the way we get things done, but they're usually the problem at the same time. And, um, I got to learn a lot of hard lessons, uh, in Georgia and it was good to be away from any support group. Cause it was all on my own down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up getting promoted a couple, a couple times with them doing, and then I got the labor relation role, labor relations role. So negotiation, I was the number two guy. So you got to keep track of all the notes. I learned all the business acumen of HR and negotiations. And that eventually led to, um, uh, I saw an announcement, excuse me, everybody, everybody from my family told me about this announcement from Caterpillar to build a new plant in Winder, Georgia, 1400 people. And, or excuse me, in Athens, Georgia, 1,400 people. And so I thought, I'll apply. Um, I applied. Uh, I, I mean, it, the, the the job description read exactly what I had done and I worked with the, the local school system, worked with, with the local community and uh, got that job and uh, ended up he said 1,400 people. When I left four years later, it was it was 1,800. We hit all our marks. Wow. It was it was really driven by people, but it got me into Caterpillar, lived um, lived there for uh, or had that job for almost uh, a little over four years. Moved up to Peoria um, in a co- more corporate role, and I got re- that, that's when Caterpillar was doing a bunch of layoffs um, and reorganizations. So 
when are they not doing that? But that was a big <laughs> one. Uh, but I ended up having about uh, the peak. I had about 28 facilities I was doing HR for globally. And it, it was a great experience in the corporate um, the, the the corporate challenges. Um, did you ever did you ever imagine that you'd be in a role like that? And and how did that progress? Because I know some people listening to this are like, boy, I would never want that responsibility, or I would never want to have involvement with that many roles. And I appreciate the metrics that you put to that, you know, because twenty eight locations that means something to you. It might not mean something to someone else, but a lot of people, a lot of responsibility. You know, when people get into those positions, I always find it fascinating of what brought them there. Did they enjoy the work that they were doing? You know, how difficult was the work that they were doing? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think when you're in a facility, when you're working with frontline folks, like my career is up to that point, I've been working mostly with frontline folks, um, minus corporate projects where you're trying to implement something. But it's it's dealing with day-to-day issues that I, whether you're running an operation with two employees um, or you have 150 or 1,400 employees. It's the same issues. It's just multiplied and complex. And you got to make sure you're consistent, you're creating the right culture, and you're developing the right people, and you're understanding their problems and their issues because we all have them. Um, I'm not somebody that believes, oh, just check your problems out at the door when you come to work. I know that I'd, I'd like to think that happens. Um, and I, it makes it easy for me as a leader. But the reality is it doesn't. So mm-hmm. you have to deal with a lot of issues and setting expectations. Um, the challenge is the work. Like I, um, I'll quote one of my favorite bosses of all time. He told me I never worked a day in my life um, because he had worked his way up from the shop floor. Yeah. And he he said, you know, Mike, you you until you've sat there and looked he goes you kind of worked by working in a cornfield i'll give you a little credit but you haven't really worked where you 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 thought the entry-level job was the best job you were ever going to have and he goes that that's that's work and that really helped me with my perspective uh and respecting the folks uh that actually you know i've done part-time jobs but it's not my job and so it it kind of switched in my head about yeah, I do something. It's different than what you do, but it's not more valuable. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, from a respect standpoint, um, the complexity. Uh, you, the 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 corporate role is more about communication and influencing and 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 seeing a bit bigger, broader picture and understanding the takeaways of what I want to get done versus what the organization, the enterprise needs to get done. And then at the the as you move down and or as I go back in my career at this or this entrepreneurial view of, hey, I'm going to start this business when I'm 16 or 15, um, versus how versus the corporate environment isn't you, you still attack the challenges the same way. It's like what's best for the business, considering the the stakeholders, the shareholders, your customers, the internal. Um, the customers, excuse me, the shareholders, the customers, and the employees, understanding that influence and that it's a balancing act. I think, I think what the corporate world probably uh, taught me when I grew up around an entrepreneurial, in an entrepreneurial family, my brother runs his own dentist uh, office out of Champaign, and um, 
and then my dad and the conversations that we had growing up and seeing is you're always solving problems, but to get the corporate world kind of tone or kind of the corporate world, um, the word would be uh, uh, like you fine tune your communication. You understand that it's not as black and white when it's just you making the decision. It's like, all right, decision this let's go forward. But when you, when there's 150 people, that care about this decision, your decision is different. Right. And um, yeah, I, I actually, Ed Rapp, who everybody thought was going to be the CEO cat. He's one of the guys, he, he, he wrote this book about 36 years of tri- trials and tribulation. He actually talks about the Athens facility in there. It's called um, measure, measure twice and cut once. Yeah. Measure twice, cut once. Um, he talks about go slow to go fast. And the more people you have, the, the bigger the ship is that you have to turn. Mm-hmm. And so it goes a little bit, a little bit slower than what I'm used to. And probably most of your audience is like, well, why do you have to call a meeting? Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta get 150 people thinking your idea is a good idea and it's in, in their best interest. So that's, that's the work. Um, and then when I say work, you know, that's not real work, right? Like mm-hmm. it is real work, but it's not, my hands aren't getting cut, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I like what you said there about, you know, bigger ships, slower it turns. And I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast experience growing pains as most businesses do. And the people management might not be as many people. It might be 10, 20, 30 people that you end up managing by the time you factor in, you know, your part-time work in the spring and in the fall uh, for harvest operations. And then, of course, a lot of people that listen here have other businesses, you know, they're running uh, dealerships or event host centers or you name it, you know, people have other things going on here. So that, that patience is probably pretty crucial. Are there any other virtues that you kind of found outside of uh, patience and maybe having some flexibility in the communication and, and how you think about those processes that really helped you excel as you went through those roles? Yeah, I think, um, so process, process, process. Um, I also, I also came across this idea. Um, well, let's just say I made it up, but I, I, I started uh, realizing that everyone's a leader. And I think that because you get a title, you're like, Oh, I'm in charge. I'm the leader. That's, it's really not the case. Uh, the guy that cleans the, uh, the guy that used to come in and take out my garbage at the facility is when it hit, he, he was talking to me and he, he was telling me about church or something. And, and I realized that he was leading me in a direction and I'm going, everyone's a leader. I can be, I, I gotta, I gotta pick and choose when I'm the leader and when I'm the follower. And when that mindset, when you, when I change that mindset of, okay, I got, you know, uh, I, I'll say that the, the union call me college boy, uh, got me, got helped me a little with humility, but it's more about the, the idea that anyone can lead you. You just got to make sure it's the right time, right person. That, that was hugely helpful in my career because so much talent is lost when you're constantly barking out directions. And there's so many good ideas, better ideas than I could ever think of, um, that, that just, set me in the right direction. So I, 
I can't tell you how, how many times I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so common sense. This guy just brought it up that I would have never expected to bring it up, but I couldn't see it uh, mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. The, the other, the other thing is you, you think about managing people is there's just, you know, um, I, I don't believe in the word fairness anymore. Um, like when you say fair, the word, I shouldn't say, I don't believe in it. It's more that there's such a nuance to being fair. And when I hear that, I get, uh, uh goosebumps because when you're dealing with people, it is, it is always tough. I mean, it's, it's rarely cut and dry and you go, well, what's, what's fair and you can't have a rule for everything what's fair when when i hear that's not fair typically i hear i'm not getting my way Mm -hmm. and um what i like to use rather than fair is consistent i want to be consistent and i want to establish very consistent expectations because just like when you write a contract you write the contract not for when things go right you write the contract for when it goes wrong and as much as I can do as a leader to tell you what my expectations are, um, that that will change, whether you're managing five or you're managing 1400, that is just d- drilling it over and over again. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and go, well, I told him this already. I told him he, I told him he can't uh, show up late, but then he shows up late and he's like, yeah, uh, I just got T-boned. You can see my car. Uh, it's messed up. Well, I told you not to be late. Hey, I just got T-boned. Like, how do you, what's the right thing to do in, in, in that situation? You go, what's fair? Well, it's, it's not fair to the manager that he didn't show up on time. It's not fair to the employee that got hit. It's out of his circumstance, out of his control. But at the end of the day, you didn't, you lost money because that guy got hit by a car. Um, those situations, um, that's, that's, are not uncommon. What gets even more complex when you bring in family situations that are, you know, maybe even dark or, or hurtful and you got to figure that out. And so establishing being consistent and consistent in how you view that is better than being or It's not better than being fair, but it's easier to, to comprehend for the person that may not like the outcome. So that, that fairness, um, what, what I, what I came up with this model of like, if, if we have very, very clear understood processes, we execute those processes. Well, we're going to have a consistent outcome or a fair outcome. So whenever I hear it's not fair, I go back to, okay, what was the expectation? Um, example might be you hire somebody you say, Hey, I won't, I expect when you, they hire, you hire them on, Hey, you're going to get calls on Sunday night. Hey, you're going to get, you know, we're working, it's plan- you were just talking about planning season. It's planning season. You're going to work a lot of hours. And then they start complaining about hours and go, well, we talked about this when I hired you, right? And and that that goes to my my other learning of most people are good and have good att- intentions, but our brains, for whatever reason, we think that people have nefarious intentions. So it's, true. That's not true. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, so I, true that we think that way, though. I mean, and and we're guilty of it. And I think one of the biggest reasons um, that we that we get this conflict built up in our mind, or that conflict builds up in organizations, and we see it all the time in farms and ag businesses, is you think you know what people have for intentions, or you think that you you try to outguess what they're what they're thinking or what they're trying to say instead of just asking and bringing it up in a professional manner. Yes. And so I see that in leadership. So, so it's a, for those of you that don't have an HR department, uh, 
a lot of my, I, I, why do we even exist? First of all, you know, it's not a real job. You're just, you know, doing benefits. That's not my HR. My HR, I don't know benefits. I don't know, really know how to do payroll. Um, my HR is more as a business partner, meaning I have to get 1500 people to think the same way and be aligned on the same goal and working together and feeling like this is the right place to work. You do that as a small business owner, you do the same thing as a small business owner, but imagine if you had to scale it to, to, to 1800, 2000, 3000 people. That scares and people. So, yeah. And that's what I, so I'm, I'm the guy on the side. I don't usually report into the leader so I can tell them the truth. I get to tell them the emperor is not wearing clothes today. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, th that type of advice of, okay. Um, uh, example of like this guy, you know, a perfect example for me is somebody down the line and this would happen in any exchange of, of soybeans or beans. Well, they did this because of this. And um, I'm like, so how do you know, how do you know that guy that was on the line down the line, put extra oil on there to mess with you? Uh, Cause I know that guy. And he told me yesterday that he likes you. Why would he do that? And why, you know, these stories, if we don't, if we don't communicate what, what's happening, it's so easy for people to run down rabbit holes. And especially if you're bored. So if you're, if you're sitting <laughs> on a combine, I'm sure you're thinking about all the things that, uh yeah you, you and they build up and build up and build up and then you go ask them why'd you put on extra oil on that and it oh uh yeah the customer asked us to do it oh you know like it's got i spent th three hours thinking about that oil and i could have just asked you so um that that's a big a big thing for me is is con especially because i i deal with a lot of folks that aren't good um people um that bottom five percent is remembering, remembering that they have good intentions. And I I rarely assume, or I never, maybe never, I don't like to use absolutes, but I don't assume I have bad intentions. Mm -hmm. I don't assume you have bad intentions, but why Why do I always assume somebody else has those? So that's a that's a huge thing with people management is, is getting down past your position, um, past, uh, I'm getting in negotiation theory. So past your, your outward position, and looking at the deeper interests. So it's probably my, pretty important. And and I would say for the agriculture audience here, but probably in some of the, or maybe in some of the work that you did too, is uh, interagency or inter business communication too, from the nefarious thought process. So like farmers, as an example, you know, had a farmer walk in here during the podcast and some people in the farming community think, well, the neighbor, you know, the neighbor's out to, out to get you or the neighbor's out to, you know, go after things. And that's, I, I rarely have ever run across that truly where people have nefarious intentions. And I think it's the same thing. And I know it's the same thing in other businesses is sometimes we have this thought that, oh, people are out to get you. And it's not true. I mean, it's, you know, generally speaking, people have these good intentions. So how do you manage that you know, between businesses and and maybe even between cultures as cultures mesh within organizations. Yeah. So there's a thing you guys can Google this. It's called the grippy model, uh, goals, roles, um, interpersonal goals, roles, process and interpersonal. And the idea is, um, establishing and aligning goals. So, uh, by the way, this is an old thing. Probably most of your listeners, this was created. This this is not new, fancy technology. It's very simple. It's mm -hmm. called it's G R P I. 
So making sure your goals are aligned. And, and typically, um, I like to use the maintenance versus production example yeah. of right. maintenance wants to take down the machine so that they can make production run better. Production wants to run the machine and doesn't want it to break down. So your intentions are the exact same. Like we all want to run the machine, but it breaks. So it's maintenance fault. Well, maintenance says, well, if you let me rebuild it, I could have kept it running longer. And so it's this constant tension to be managed, not problem to be solved. And so as that tension builds, you say, all right, well, uh, let's get our goals aligned. Well, how about our goal is we're going to do 10% proactive maintenance. So we're going to shut down 10% of our time to do maintenance on this machine. That, that's an aligned goal. Now we have a number that we can agree upon that the goal is aligned. We have the same, we have good intentions, the goal is aligned. So now we can argue about that goal. Did we? Did you give me my 10%? Did you not? right? And if I gave you my 10% and it still failed, then that's that's a problem. Right. The roles, so who's who's assigned to what? And this is where when you have that, that accusation that somebody's out to get you, this is typically in, in a work environment. Uh, I, I, somebody tells me they're out to get, I run through, okay, what's your goal? Okay. All right. We have the same goals. Then I go to roles. So whose job is it? Well, it's my job when it's this and, it, and it's his job when it's that. And, and um, typically it's not well-defined. So if you can, if you got the goals defined, now you say, okay, what are our roles? Well, maintenance thinks that the production guy should also help with this. Okay. Wh what exactly does that mean? Help. Mm -hmm. Does help mean I'm pushing carts over or does help mean I'm under the, I'm under the hood with you. Right. What does help mean? Let's define find it so so you say this is our role the last piece is the process or excuse me the next piece is the process so are is your process aligned so um for that 10 percent, we've agreed upon the goal but we don't have a process in place so maintenance just stops everyone at the beginning of shift when they come in and your production guys going well why didn't we wait till the why didn't you do it after shift why are we doing this during i'm paying everybody to be here why did it, this is this is silly well, the process wasn't defined. So let's define the process. Okay, you want to you want to take down a machine. When are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? We're going to have a meeting beforehand and agree upon time. And you have to sign a sheet of paper to say that time is agreed upon. Now our process is defined. Mm -hmm. So if you get your goals, your roles, your process, I would say that solves 99% of it. And then the last is the interpersonal. And that's just, are you a jerk, right? Or, or there's just people um, I've worked with I just don't click with, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just don't, we just don't click. I, I, they're good. They're a good person, good intentions. I just, they're not my, my cup of tea. So that happens rarely. Um, I, I've been in charge of probably 60,000 folks in HR over my career. I can only think of a handful that I just prefer not to work with. Not that they're bad people. I just don't want to work that way. So um, yeah, that grippy model is super helpful for solving interpersonal problems. So you mentioned, uh, you know, Myers-Briggs earlier, some of the other ones that we work with, um, disk assessment, 16 personalities, working genius. Strength finder. Yep. Strength finder. Yep. So I think those are all super relevant and, and we talk to clients and people and businesses that we work with to take it. And I, would argue that in farming operations and in family businesses that it's maybe even more important um, at that interpersonal level because 
like you said, you can't just leave family stuff at the door when you walk into a family business. We'd like to think that that happens and it doesn't. Um, yeah. So knowing how people communicate and a little bit to what you're saying of having the good intentions or understanding that people have good intentions, understanding that we need to have the goals, the roles and responsibilities, the processes, and then believe it or not, we still have to have interpersonal connection and communication within family members. And a lot of that stuff is more important in family businesses to be clearly defined. At least that's my perspective. I don't do yeah. you have much experience on the family business side or what are your thoughts there? Uh, my, my dad fired me once I was his cleaning crew at his office and, uh, me and me and a buddy got paid $20 to do it. Um, and, uh, we, we left foot, we, we mopped and then got to the end of the hallway and decided we could walk back barefoot. Cause that's clean. And when it leaves, it left footprints and he's like, I'm just done dealing with these complaints. So I, he has fired me and I, and then when I was running the detasseling business, I got offered, I, my capacity was about 300 acres and Monsanto was paying gobs more than he was paying. Um, and I said, Hey, can you raise your rate? And he said, no. And I said, eh, I'll give you, I, I cut his acreage. So um, very compartmentalized in our, in our household. But um, the, the, I like the Enneagram at home. I don't know. Uh, church got into that. I was down in Georgia and my wife, my wife's, I consider an expert on that. So being able to understand somebody's uh, core beliefs and, and intentions and what you find when you do the strength finders, this Myers-Briggs, all those is that it allows me a framework to think about this, this mess as we are as people like to, to figure out that framework and give them at the end of the day, it's grace, give them, okay, I'm going to give them a pass because they don't, th they don't see the world in the same lens I do. Um, I'm uh, on my strength finders. I'm super positive. So I'm positivity number one. Um, and as a positivity, number one, what I find is that if you tell me really bad news, I'm going to immediately tell you something positive about that bad news. And that pisses people that off. That pisses people <laughs> off. I'm laughing oh, because yeah, you oh, tell that would drive me wild. Uh, you let's say you were all playing, you're all excited to get planting this tomorrow. And, uh, it, let's say the weather's all wrong and it rains and you might call me up and say, Hey Mike, how's it going? I would say, man, it, it didn't rain as much as I'm glad it didn't flood, you know, <laughs> and that pisses people off. And that's just something that as you learn these things, one, that's a watch out for somebody that's super positive is, you know, uh, nobody wants to hear any you know i'm good to bring I, I you don't want to hear at a funeral positive stuff you you do but not too positive right and okay. and that's that i just you got to be aware of that as uh, a strength now on the flip side is when the when the the light at the end of the tunnel can't even be seen i see it i'm good I, i'll pump you up mm -hmm. um and so I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. If you mess up, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt uh, because I believe I, I got that positivity built in me. So what that framework does is it, it gives you an understanding of when I mess up for me, when I mess up, you're going to say, yeah, but that's who, that's kind of who he is at his core. I'm, I might mean, it doesn't mean I'm right, but I, I give that, that grace there and kind of. And, and that's, that's huge too. I like what you said about, or I think you said something to the effect of like within your marriage and, and Hannah and I took 
um, the working genius where we did the working genius. And it's really interesting because some of my working frustrations are her working competencies. And then yep. we both have, you know, working, um, I forget what the word is, but somewhere in between to where we don't like doing it, but we're capable of doing it. And so we're kind of yep. like polar opposites within, within our marriage and within our relationship. And even just going through the exercise and realizing, you know, there's times where I'm acting a certain way and she can look at me and be like, oh, well, that's because it's his working frustration. So how do I, how can I help him? How can I serve him? And likewise, there's things that I know are her working frustrations that, you know, she's not an inventor. I'm an inventor. You know, that's part of like my skill set of it just comes naturally to me. I'm a discerner. So I've already thought three steps ahead in a process, which mm -hmm. you talk about something that pisses people off is she's wonderer, right? And so she wonders, she wants to ask questions. Well, why are we doing it this way? And I might be on step four of five in the process. And she's asking me a question about step one. And I'm like, no, you know, we gotta, we're already there. And I've already thought through this. And so just understanding how we work and how we make decisions um, within our marriage, within our relationship is super powerful. And I think the message here is within organizations, it can be very powerful too. Um, so explore some of these tools. I mean, they're free or little to no cost. I mean, I, I can't think of many better ways to spend money to help improve an organization. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's what the big organizations do. They, 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 they spend a lot more like the strength finders um, stuff is expensive if you have it at scale, it's expensive, like one-offs, I think they're 35 bucks or something. Um, Enneagrams, the same thing. And uh, you, you, just like you guys are opposites, everybody's opposite. Everybody that gets, everybody gets married. <laughs> See, you know, as part of being HR, I do have to, I get to hear crazy stories. And it, the thing that, the thing that attracts you to somebody uh, usually is, uh, whether it's a business partner or spouse or employee, they do something that you don't do well. So when, and that's, I look up to that. Um, uh, the, the example I'll give you right now in my business, my business venture right now, no longer in corporate America. Um, but my uh, guy, Rudy, that we work together, um, works for me. And uh, um, he, he is a discipline to the max guy. I wake up right now. It's 9 a, it was 9 a.m. when we started this call. Um, he, I have five things that he wants me to do because he wakes up every, I know he's up at five 30 every morning and he yep. goes through his list and then he emails me his list. Make sure he tells me like he has a process that he does it every day and he doesn't miss one day. And, um, that's why I want him on the team is because I know, uh, um, I know that I'm going to, I get, I got a great product. I have, I'm good at leadership but those day-to-day -day tasks drive me crazy. It's always, I'm looking at what is going to, you know, 80-20, 80-20 at what's going to give me the biggest impact. Well, it's 80-20 until one of those 20 items gets you stuck. And he's a guy that will make sure every item gets done. So that uh, that helps you out too, is, is we, you don't want somebody just like you. <laughs> you don't. It feels good right. uh, for a little bit, but it's it, it, you're missing, you're having blind spots. That's awesome. All right. So let's get to today. You left cat, maybe had a couple oh, positions yeah. in between and then where are you at today? Yeah. So left cat, went to Fairlife Milk uh, for a little bit. They got bought out by Coke. It wasn't interested in the giant organization anymore. Um, went to Masterlock. Uh, they're owned by Fortune Brands. It's a medium sized company up in Milwaukee. Um, negotiated their their contract, UAW contract uh, last time. 
and had facility, big facility in Mexico, um, operations supply chain in Oak Creek, uh, Wisconsin. So now I'm, I'm in there, I'm in there. And, uh, I had this idea right out of school. I had this idea of, of, of being better at leading at the front line. The software that exists right now is built for, um, for, for leadership. It's built for people that sit behind a desk. So I talked about people that do the work, the actual worker. That's not who the software is built for. It's built right. for the CFO. It's built for the C, the, the C-suite folks, CEO to manage costs. But the actual experience of a frontline leader is, oh man, I have like, like we talk about these scales. So most in a big facility, you have a frontline leadership group of 30, maybe one of the companies I'm talking to has 90, 90 people. So you got to remember all 90s names. You got to remember how they performed, how many times they were late, how many write-ups they had, how many, um, how many recognitions do they have? What we did is we simplified it and we made it about um, that is a that is a headache that the supervisor can't do. So if you focus on that frontline leader, I want to make their life easier. That's it. And if I can make their life easier, they the quick documentation on coaching, quick documentation on recognition, quick quick documentation on discipline, make it easy for them because in the corporate world, it's too hard. And I would argue even in the small business world, it's hard because you don't have, you don't have an HR guy to tell you what it's hard when you have an HR guy, but what if you had a system that said, I want to, I need to talk to this guy about it, about him being late. How do I even start that conversation? What do I need to document? Is he going to be mad? Oh, will he still work? How do I, how do I approach that? And so we, we created a software that's super easy to deal with it. And what's that called? Secchi, S-E-C-C-H-I dot I-O. Uh, that's our website. Secchi, and it, it's named Secchi because uh, there's a thing called a Secchi disk. The Secchi disk gives you the measurement of how clear water is. So I can go out, you're near the Illinois River, and I, uh, you don't usually see people swimming in that. Uh, uh, no. You don't. And you know that it's not clear, right? We can say it's not clear. I can look at that river and go, that is not clear. And you can run your, you know, boat over and see fish drop, jump into your boat. So that's not, not clear, but I can go to the Gulf of Mexico and that's clear. But what, what defines clear and not clear? And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I relate this to employees. I, I, I would ask super in that 1800 person facility, is that a good employee? Oh, great employee. Are they great employer? Did they hunt fish with you last weekend? You yeah. know, they, they, what's clear and not clear on if they're good or not. So what the software does is it automates all that performance management to give you a really clear picture of if someone's good or not. And it it, it takes away all that, that tightness in your stomach when you go, I got to talk to this guy. I like him. And in, in your case, it's a family member. I got to talk to, you know, my my father-in-law about this this is going to be awkward as hell like what am i going to do well in our system you would have you would have documented the previous the small stuff it gets the small stuff if i can take care of the small stuff then the big stuff won't be so big and um uh it, it it's changing um i at first i was an hr tool and really it's a productivity tool because if I'm documenting my coaching, I'm now not having to use my brain space to remember, did I talk to him about that? Did I not? I know I talked to him and all those, you know, negative thoughts that we talked about at the beginning of this, it becomes more of a tool to coach people and um, just coach people and retain people. 
I think uh, you said an important part there early on that it wasn't, it's not just designed for disciplinary actions either. It's also, you know, reward and achievements and, you know, exceptional things that you've done. And I think, I think that's really, really important. How do you, how do you avoid making sure that you're not being too cynical, especially when you're maybe in a small to mid-sized organization and all you want to do is document that, Hey, this goober was late again and yep. ready to fire him. And now here I have these 17 things that document why I should fire this person. I, I, ha- I have this theory and I, I don't know how the heck I'm going to prove it, but um, that, you know, the people say folks leave bosses, they don't leave jobs. And I hear that a lot, but there is a part of this that I, I'm a competitive, I'm competitive by nature. Um, and I would imagine most, most of your farmers are competitive. Most of your listeners are competitive because they, they're in one of the most competitive markets out there. And when I go into the workplace and I have to work the, I work harder, three, four times harder than somebody that is just showing up every day. I can't stand working in that place. Mm-hmm. And how do I deal with that bad person? Because the dealing with the bad person actually engages your best performers. And there's a study out there that says your best performers are eight X your average performers. So they give you eight times the return. And we all know this intuitively. Everyone listening to this knows their person that gives them that return. You, in order to keep that eight X, you can't allow that minus 10 X and so there's another study out of the University of Washington um, that says a bad apple reduces the work group uh, performance 40%. Not their performance, the work group. And this is perfect for your business. Mm-hmm. And um, your, your, your small groups, we all know this. If one out of five of them is a toxic employee, not only will they bring down your performance of 40% for that work group, they will create more toxic employees. So there, there's two pieces. When I say performance management, our brain immediately goes to the write-up piece. But how how do you keep, one is you got to get the toxic, the real toxic people out. You got to. And, and you're going to justify every which reason, the job market and everything else. But the real toxic employees have to go and you have to take the 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 initial hit are, then, are small businesses too small or uh, are small businesses too slow to fire um everybody i actually would argue that small business actually might be better than big corporate bureaucracy okay. because they're gonna we got a bad employee we're gonna get you know you're at a big multinational corporation the 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 freebie lawyer the lawyers on the billboards are gonna pick up um are going to pick up the lawsuit. So I need to make sure everything, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. In a small business, I think that you have a different challenge and that I could recruit somebody else generally, but the but is um, the, 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 the terminate, I have to worry about the back end more than a small business. Whereas a small business, you separate somebody, it takes a while to find you, you don't have a line of people that go, Hey, I want to work at my, you know, Chase farm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't have a pool of people just lining up and family members you can get referrals from. Everybody listening to this podcast from the ag sector can attest to that, that labor yeah. market is challenging everywhere and it's incredibly challenging at the farm level. So I appreciate that comment. Yeah. I, 
I can't say enough. I, what I did over the years is connecting with somebody at a high school, just your shop teacher, your local getting just even showing up and doing a speaking event at a shop. You're going to get 18 year old that doesn't know where they're headed. And, um, you obviously believe in your career, so you can sell that. And yes, they're going to go out and party and maybe miss a few days, but, um, that's, that's what, that's what I did is I, I started recruiting, really build those relationships in high school. When somebody goes, I don't know what's going on. Well, Hey, Mike down the road, uh, Caterpillar just came and spoke here, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know if the speed, so the speed is, you always, every termination feels like I should have done it faster. I don't know one that doesn't feel that way, but I will say if you're somebody that just goes out and lets people go right away, you're not creating a, a good environment either because then you're good employee. You got to focus on what what's what's the lens of your best employee. How does he view this or mm-hmm. she view this? Mm-hmm. If they view it as an unstable work environment, they they're gonna look. So it's it's it goes back to that balancing of this of the stakeholders and establishing really good expectations and goals. Um, one of the things that drives me nuts is I hear they're good when they're here. She's good when she's here. He's good when he's here. And I'm like. They're not good then. If they're not here, every they're, yeah. somebody is doing twice the work because of that person. The minimum expectation is that you show up at the job. Yes. Yeah. Dependability is not. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I but you got to think about performance management through the lens of the positive too. So we say performance management, but performance management is how are your employees performing against a goal? I, I would guess how many of you guys have written on your board at that board behind you? Do you have your goal? What is your, what's your goal for when the, when you're planting, what's your goal for uh, your, your, how many bushels? Mm-hmm. Does anybody have a goal for bushels right now? Do you have it written down? So everyone can see it that we're all going for that bushel target. And I know there's always a million factors. You guys got weather mm-hmm. manufacturing. We have weather, the, the, the metal metal uh, uh, supply chain, like where where our supply there, there's always things out without your control. But the idea is, what is what exactly is a win, and, and making we, sure you can find that win. Yeah, and we make the analogy, or I do, just experience in the military of you don't go to a shooting range without having a target downrange, right? Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just like wildly shooting, and you're wasting ammo, and you're wasting everybody's time, right? So, what's your target? How do you aim at it? And we have, um, you know, in the consulting side of the business, we implement uh, the entrepreneurial operating system with a lot of organizations. Obviously, farm businesses are a little bit different. So if if someone hasn't read Traction or Rocket Fuel, go out, find those by Gina Wickman, give them a listen. There's lots of applicable uh, lessons and things that you can, you know, like what Mike's talking about here is just go out and figure out what processes and procedures and how do you clearly define what your goals are, have that target for your operation. But I think more importantly, what you're saying here is how do you build those metrics back into the goals for the employees? You know, are you setting those expectations? Are you following up on those expectations? Are you measuring what success or failure or improvement looks like? Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. So what I found at scale, so you may not have the guy that goes out, your field boss in a detasseling crew may not have a goal, but he has an expectation. So when in, in absent of a specific goal, 
it's easy to say team goals, right? You can easily say, Hey, this is, I'm, I'm getting high level bushels into the year, but Hey, we want to have my goal for you is to check out, you know, three fields a day or five fields a day. That could be a goal, but the expectations different. The expectation is you're here on time every day as scheduled your expectation about, I, I expect you to follow our, our ethics and guidelines or rules, you know, even if they're not re- written, you have them. Uh, I recommend writing them down and it can be as easy as be respectful that, and that's broad and hard to define, but that it can be that simple. It can be, be, be respectful. Uh, then you have your your reward and recognize that right behavior for, from an expectation standpoint. So my program measures your recognition. It measures your your discipline. So how many people don't follow the rules? And it measures your um, um, attendance. Now, what we think performance management, I get, finally get to this point, recognition, recognition, recognition. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, the languages of appreciation, which are from the love languages book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read the love languages book in my pre-marriage counseling. I go, oh man, this would be great for the workplace. Um, but, you know, it, awesome. it, he, en- he ended up writing a book that was appropriate touch, which is a handshake, right? Yeah. So that was the, the hang up on the love languages. But if you appreciate people in the way they want to be appreciated, one of those things that I found is um, I bought I bought sandwiches for an entire facility, spent spent fifty six hundred dollars on it. And I, I was like, golly, um, inflation. And uh, um, and I walked away and I it just bothered me and it stuck with me. And then I thought, you know, what would be more impactful is I, I only made about 80 percent of those people happy when I bought that sandwich for 15 minutes. Because 80% of those people like what they got. 20% were pissed off. They they got the regular chips and not the barbecue. And so uh, they not only was it disengaging and I spent that money, uh, they they now go tell seven people about how they hate regular chips. So I, I thought about this and I thought, how can I figure out who's the best? And and with our program, if you, if you enter in their attendance, if you put in some coaching and put in some recognition, I think it would be way more important to take 20 people and their spouse to a steak dinner for 5,600 bucks. I can, I can, you know, maybe even if we made it a buffet, I could probably even add more people and I could have them sit down with the president of the company and he would do it and, and say, thank you for how awesome you are and being dependable and that would be way more impactful than a bunch of Jimmy John sandwiches. And um, that's what my program does. The reason we don't do that is because there's such a bias and they're so at scale, it's really hard to figure out who your best people are. So our program, when you recognize someone, it sends them a te- you, you send them a text so they can show their spouse. It also helps the leader understand how often they're doing it because our perception is we're doing a really good job at telling people they're good. I told him he was good. Or he, the other one I hear is he gets a paycheck, right? Well, yeah, that might have worked in our parents' generation, but it doesn't work with with yeah. us. Uh, uh, I'm at the end of the Gen X, beginning of millennial age, so uh, I didn't get I didn't get a trophy for everything, but there were more trophies than there were the previous ten years. So. Yeah, I think as leaders and managers in ag business organizations or just businesses in general. What you said there is we are not good at showing appreciation to the level that we need to be. And and that's from small business to large business of we we think it in our mind, 
But if you think that you're doing good, you probably need to do it three or four times as much as what you actually are. And just over communicating that. And that's where we, uh, you know, a lot of the operations that we work with at uh, daily meetings, or if they have weekly meetings, you know, at Mondays, everybody's together. It's just a, you know, a toolbox talk of, hey, this is what we got going on this week. And just say, you know, that's an opportunity for you to point out, you know, hey, Mike, I really appreciated what you did last week, how you manage that customer had lasting impact on on what our next couple months is going to be. So thank you so much for doing that. Just go around the room and say, you know, thank you for the things that you've done. That's a great starting point um, for people from a management perspective, just showing that appreciation. And I would argue, I would argue is, and what my my software does is you're doing that at the toolbox talk, but after that's gone, it feels good. It, good. It, it feels good. But two weeks down the road, three weeks down the road, are you going to remember that? Mm-hmm. And you're not writing that, you know, and I don't, the reality is I, I, everyone in manufacturing carries a book like this. I got a little book that um, write notes and, and I have, I have 20 of them behind me because I pretend like I'm going to go open that again. I may document it. I, I never do. And it's <laughs> um, good for your mind too. Right. Right. It makes me feel good inside because yeah. my intentions are good. Yep. Uh, not nefarious, nefarious. So <laughs> the, what my program does is you write a little note into a, a book, into a, it's like a book, right? Like on your cell phone, you hit a little note, sends them a text message. They have it to remember a document that they have because it's in text and you have it on their performance report that you can recall six months from now when they ask for a raise and you go, dude, you asked for a raise, you've missed 10 days. And they'll go, well, you thanked me in that huddle meeting. And you go, yeah, I did. Uh, On this date, I thanked you. You're right. And you know what? Um, But you've missed 10 days. Like, come on, man. I'm not, I can't afford to pay. You show me that you can go, six months without uh, missing a day and you get two more of those huddle recognitions, then we'll talk. Um, That's my small business case right now. We're working with a small roofing company and he goes, you know, yeah, guys asked for raise and I just kind of asked the supervisor and we wing it. And, um, and, and, you know, not to say the supervisor in a data point, they should be a data point, but if you have the data, then that conversation that is really uncomfortable becomes less uncomfortable because we're arguing, we're discussing the data. We're not discussing our personalities and emotions. Mm-hmm. And those employee reviews, we encourage people to do it at a minimum twice a year. You know, how frequently for small businesses or organizations that you work with, how often do you think that those employee reviews should be utilizing Secchi for, for that information? So I think the I will say the answer is all over the place. So big corporations have started moving away from reviews because they have more frequent check-ins. So like quarterly, some of the big ones have done this. Um, and then there's been the push. There's been also pushback to say, all right, this is great to do. Sure. But we need to have documentation because I need to know who my best employees are. So um my personal experience and opinion and how you use Secchi is you use it how how that what works for your business. So if you needed you need to give your employees increases, this it's gonna happen, right? You're gonna get inflation. Review it and if you want to review it annually or wait till they bring it up, that's fine. But you want to have data to have that discussion. Now developing people, I would want to see in what our, our best customer is the customer that's getting the most benefit, increased production uh, 15%. They're in there every week recognizing, I mean, not 
I mean, every day, not even every week, recognizing coaching people, hey, reminder on how to do this procedure, or, hey, this was a quality issue. You don't have to write people up for that, but you should document it. Mm-hmm. You should, if you document it, you will save so, you, well, I don't have time for that. You will save an insane amount of money on unemployment insurance. You will save an insane amount of money on, if you ever get in a legal mess, you have backup. And um, it, it, that little minute of, of documented coaching is great. One is the purpose is to make them better. The purpose is not to protect yourself, but you get a little insurance policy and you make them better and you document, Hey, look, Oh man, you've really, we, we used to have to coach you on uh, the way that the office looked. Right. And now I don't, I walk in there and it looks great every time. And now I have something to measure with it. So it's um, go back to your question on a time frame. I think it depends on your business, but, and your individuals, and when you think about your individuals, think about your best employee, take it through the best employee lens, because what we get caught in, just like we think everybody has bad intentions, is you you focus on that bottom 5%. If you continue to focus on that bottom 5%, you are building a business for that bottom 5%. So somebody mouths off to a customer, right? Like you, you had a farmer walk in. If you mouth off to that customer and the, you talk to the one of your employees does and you talk to that employee hey you can't you got to be more respectful and they go well where's the rule to be be more respectful what does that mean and they argue get those people out as fast as you can because if you have those 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 folks that say well where's the rule um the rule is be respectful the rule is you you can even be as broad as you want um hey if you're representing me and my family you're not going to act that way and that's the stuff you need to keep track of um so that's huge and what you said there on you build it for the people that you're working with, but it's also nice to have that documentation and what it could save you from, like you said, unemployment insurance or legal issues or whatever. It's a little bit the same way with safety that we talk about in farm operations and ag businesses is you never know how much money you're going to save by something that didn't happen. Yeah. Someone that in, in, with safety, it's it's life and death sometimes. If you never know whose life you saved by doing things safely and taking time to do that more slowly, and I think there's so many dollars that are at risk and also real tangible dollars there from an employee management perspective, from a safety perspective, whatever other processes and procedures that are hard to measure that I think the, the system that you've developed here is probably crucial for that. Oh, the, the, the input on safety and growing up or growing up professionally in the manufacturing world and then being brought on to safety in the farming world is, uh, you know, the, the, don't be, don't be a dummy. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's not great safety training. It, it helps with common sense. And I learned the hard way, but, um, you get in the manufacturing world and you're not holding the rail and somebody's like, what are you doing? Grab the rail, you know, because, that the joke, not even a joke, the, that, that boss, I told you that told me I hadn't worked a day in my life. He, he's, I said, what do you think the best safety advice is? And he's like, hold a handrail. He's like, that's the best. Cause we have so many rolled ankles in safety. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about how many grain bins you've been up on, right? Did you hold the handrail? Every, I, it, it's silly. It feels silly saying it out loud, but um, even those type of things and being being diligent about it. Uh, and you don't have to be a jerk, but being diligent about the little things end up saving the big things, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's... So, 
Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And I, I want to make sure, you know, as we're talking about Seki here, what what haven't we talked about? What else is going on? Uh, who does this fit? You know, who's the audience that you think this is a great tool for? Not even specific to to the ag audience here. You know, the people that you're looking to work with that you think this is important with. Tell me a little bit about what else we maybe haven't talked about and then what the future of the business looks like. Right. So I think I think the question that that I ask and that I, yeah, I'd ask your audience is, is we, why is it so hard to keep people? You know, why, why is that so hard? And uh, when something's hard, uh, uh, whether it's a goal or um, a project you're working on, what gets measured gets done, what gets measured gets done. We're all getting measured. And so if you're not measuring your people, what are you missing out on? What are you missing out on retention? What are you missing out on in safety? What are you missing out on just extra effort? And and uh, from a Secchi standpoint, I I can't say enough about creating clarity of your of your workforce and getting people engaged on your teams, and not just in a way, not just in the soft way of hey, let's be nice to people, but in a, in a meaningful, authentic way that shows the recognition that your folks want. And immediately what you hear a lot of, what I hear a lot is money. It's always money. It's not always money. It, it's, it's, are you letting that bad folk bring your team down? Are you letting that, are you going through the good employee lens? And the reality is frontline leadership's hard emotionally and tactically. So I'm going to, Seki takes away that emotional um, challenge with data. We're going to give you data. And that data comes from a really solid process. I kicked off this conversation talking about process and fairness and a clear understood process that is executed well, creates a consistent fair outcome. And um, yeah, I would check us out. I just say on LinkedIn, um, I'm going to LinkedIn, we're S-E-C-C-H-I, Secchi, um, and or Secchi.io. You guys can call me, um, message me. You can book a meeting with me off that website. Uh, anybody that's your, your listener, if they have a group, um, if they have a group that they'd want a performance management training on, I, I will offer that up as, as a free uh, webinar with them personally. And then I, uh, I'll give a quick plug to a book that I, I base my performance management off of. It's called... It, it, it's on Amazon. It's by David Dunn. It's called Bubba on Business. And this is a read that if you, uh, it is not, it is short. It has pictures. It is, if you're not a reader, you can still read this. Um, I, I, I asked one of my plan managers to put it next to his toilet. I was like, just, you will be done in a month. Yeah. Just put it in there. And it, it is so simple and it's common sense leadership. And you talk, Bubba in that book is the good employee. Take the good employee's lens. Stop dipping around and playing games with your pain employee. And your pain employee, there is a level, understand and create an expectation in your head. There is a level of pain that you put up with, with your best, especially technical folks, right? I, I worked with a building full of CAD engineers, some of the smartest people in the world. You know, there's MIT grads and yeah, you know, I, I'm from Muhammad, Illinois, right? And these guys, <laughs> thought, you know, I, I think about how smart do you have to be to come 
come from a foreign country, you know, China or India, where you're taking test after test at sixth grade. I mean, these folks are geniuses. And even in, in you know, the MITs or the local people, genius folks. But there's a level of you, you can be as smart as you want, but if you're not respectful and you're hurting our environment, then I we, we got to address that. Mm-hmm. So um, really thinking about your expectation of how much pain you're going to take. Uh, like they're good when they're here. Oof. Yeah. But you just, you're, you're sending the example, the other 10 guys about how they, they need to be dependable. So. That's awesome. So, you know, future, future of your business, uh, the outlook with Seki, um, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's huge. I think it could have a dramatic impact in multiple industries and, and, the success rate, I think will be fantastic on your end. You know, how, how does this grow? Who's, who's part of your team right now? People that want to get involved with you. What else do they need to know about Seki? So, so here, here's the, here's the big, here's the big dream. The BHAG is I, I firmly believe you all can Google hourly performance management. You can Google frontline performance management. It's built all the software out there is built for people that sit at computers you know, 360 reviews are great. Oh, they created an app, but it's based off of the mindset of of people that Joe would say don't work for a living, like do the real work, right? Mm-hmm. Not that it's not, but but they get the hands dirty work. And um, we're the only one out there right now that's really focused on the front lines. I'm, I'm, I, I did go to college and got the master's, but at the core of, my environment, my friends are, are folks that do work. And I think I understand this problem intimately. And we've got a really good, we have a really good solution that addresses that emotional challenge and that, uh, uh, that, that, that tightness in your stomach when you go, Oh, I got to talk to this employee tomorrow. I don't want to do this. I like, I like Jimmy and He's going to, you know, and even the toughest guys, even the absolute toughest guys from uh, Aurora, Illinois and and Mapleton, Illinois, that were in the, that that fought with the union every day, they behind closed doors. And I have those comments. It's tough for everybody. Those are whether, whether you're managing a giant organization or you're managing 10 people or three people, it's tough. So the way you get rid of that emotion, the way you get away, away from that pain is you get data. That is that that is the answer. Data and process will alleviate that that pain. Um, outlook for me, the big big BHAG is I'm gonna uh I, I joke, I wanna enter, I want to improve the I don't I shouldn't even say joke. I'm serious. I want to improve the productivity of the United States. So any operation, anyone in operation, people are 70% of the co- take away your supplies 70 percent of most operations are people the con- most controllable thing you cost you have are people and the only tool you have to manage that cost or most of us have to manage that cost is hire them or fire them and it goes up or down but once they're there how can you how can you get the most out of folks and the way you get the most out of folks is developing and identifying the right talent, what a great employee is and focusing on with that great employee, um, connecting with them in a way that, that, that produces more results. So 
on a high level as an executive level, when you're looking across an organization with thousands and thousands of people, it's hard to do that. Well, our program creates the process and data to, to make that happen. You know, um, one of the, one of the closing things here, as we wrap up that I like what you said from earlier is realizing that when do I need to be the leader and when do I need to be the follower or when do I need to be led? And I think that's really important for uh, people in growing businesses that have, that are high operating, that have huge aspirations for their business is you got there, you got to your leadership role because someone led you and someone taught you, or you have these learned experiences that, that made you the way that you are. You need to continue to be led. You need to continue to learn in your business. And from an employee management standpoint, a lot of people out there are not good teachers. And so using a tool like Seki and to show the appreciation, to show your frontline management, to say, Hey, you know, what do I need to be doing to make these employees better? Good employees get better because someone makes them that way. You know, someone helps elevate them. And a lot of times in the ag world, or I would just say labor management in general, whatever labor intensive roles that you have is we have this challenge of how do we develop people and do we have the time and the capacity and the skill set to do that? A tool like this helps you get there faster and helps take away those pain points and those challenges. If you're not using data, whether it's written note, even written notes or, or a spreadsheet, right? If you're not using data, you're not going to get better. If it's not measured, it's not going to get done. And uh, whether there's two people working for you or, or 100,000, 100, if it's not measured, it's not going to get done. And having those solutions of real-time insights, communications, real-time leadership, and then data-driven, that those are, the, those are the keys that'll change it for you. Mm -hmm. Mike, any closing thoughts here on, on Seki, on our conversation? You know, I really appreciate you taking the time. Any, any last thoughts here? No, I, I just, I'd appreciate any follow on LinkedIn if y'all are using LinkedIn. And then I, I, I challenge y'all uh, when you see the headlines, Home Depot gives a billion dollars to hourly employees. When you see the headlines, great resignation, people are harder to find than ever. Um, crippling workforce shortages, uh, Amazon, I I'm looking at them right now. Amazon's attrition costs them 8 billion annually. The, all those headlines transfer directly to your two, two person business. It's just a different scale. It, the same problems when you have five people as you have 500,000, it's the same problem. So don't, I, I guess I would encourage your folks, just like you said, Hey, one of the, those personality tools, the grippy model is so simple, so simple. You don't have to get a master's to use it. Just Google it uh, to use um, th those tools to address these giant headlines. If you're reading a headline, it probably relates to your business just on a smaller scale. And uh, if you all need any help, you're welcome. Connect with me on LinkedIn, um, seki.io. And I, I, I'll just leave it with this. What, what at its core, why this program is built is because there is an unfairness and the, there is a, I talk about not using fair. There is something really wrong in a workforce where somebody works really, really hard and does 10X, 8X, what an average person does and you're not rewarding them. And I, I, my purpose statement when I started this company was let great workers do great work. So 
letting that great worker do great work means you're recognizing them. You're engaging that great worker more than you are anybody else. And you're doing it in a way that um, encourages others to be great workers. I don't think we could wrap it up any better than that. Mike, thank you so much for the time. Uh, for those of you listening, go check out Seki. Have a happy Easter weekend here, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. You too, Shay. And everyone listening, thank you. And we will catch you next time on the Ag View Pitch.